Hello and welcome back to our devotions on the Psalms. Before I begin, I'd like once again to highlight to you our website. Um, we renew our website very regularly. And the two areas, if you are a member and if you know our church and you don't need introductions, the two areas to look at will be the resources and the events. The events will tell us the things that we will be, we, the church is organizing or that's happening in the church and you may want to participate in some of these the resources part will tell us about the causes that are available certain articles that we highlight and uh, we link to our website and i think you will be very blessed just going through that website and perhaps even signing up for a course or two. These courses are not just done by us. Some are organized by track, some from Bible colleges. And I would say, for example, that the ones that are being introduced by Trinity Theological College right now are very good courses. Take a look. We also have courses from Singapore Bible College. Unfortunately, the, the, course, the course registrations for these for this half a year is over. And so wait for the new curriculum that will come for July to December. So I encourage you to keep looking at our website, these two areas, events and resources. And you may really find stuff that will be a blessing. Today I want to look at prayer. In fact, the next these three weeks, three sessions, today, Thursday and next Tuesday. And it's on Psalm 86. People have often asked me, how do we pray? How do we pray as confidently as this other person? Have you ever felt that you don't pray well enough? That you don't know how to pray? That why a certain person prays with such power and confidence while you don't have that? How then does one pray? I think today, these three sessions, I will not teach you the hows of prayer. Rather, I want to talk about the understanding, the ethos behind prayer. I think that's a lot more important because if you understand what prayer is about, when you understand the attitudes of prayer, the character of God and the obstacles before you that you're praying about, then the hows become easy because you may not even need to know how. You just pray understanding what God is looking for. So I've divided this psalm into three parts. It's Psalm 86. The first part which we will deal with today is on the ethos or the attitude or the posture of prayer. So it's about the person who is praying and that will be from verse 1 to 4. Thursday we will look from verse 5 to 10. And on these five to these verses we'll talk about the nature of God. What is God like? Because if you understand the nature of God, it will make prayer much easier. It will give you great confidence in talking to God. And then finally, from verse... Oh, sorry, it's uh, from verse... The second Thursday will be from verse 5 to 13. And then finally, on next Tuesday, we will talk from verses 14 to 17 on the nature of our adversary, the enemies what God will do. Because when you see where your state is, what you are like, when you see the nature of God, what who God is and what God is like, 
And then when you look at the nature of your adversary, the obstacles, when you see all these in perspective, then the way we pray will be very different as we approach God. So today, let's look at verses 1 to 4 and let us pray. Father, we thank you that your God will hears our prayers. Even at this time, as we pray that you'll enlighten us and help us to understand you, and ourselves and our adversaries, that God, you speak deeply into our hearts and we know that you hear this prayer. As we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. I shall then now read the first four verses of Psalm 86. Hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So for today, let's look at the attitude or the posture of the person praying. It's very important because the more we understand our situation, the more we understand ourselves, then the better, more effectively we can pray. So the first thing that the psalmist says is that he is poor and needy. Remember this psalmist is no small fry, he is King David. King David wasn't by any means poor and needy. He had great wealth. He had great prowess in military strategy. He was a military strategist. He had conquered large swaths of land from the enemy. And yet in this prayer, he prays that he is poor and needy. Was this false modesty? Or is there an understanding, a deep, deeper understanding of his condition? Often in our day as well, we wonder how we can be poor and needy. I remember when I was in Bible college, I was asked to write an essay about God feeding the sparrows and providing us with our necessities. And I thought to myself, how does that relate in our time when all of us are affluent, the very few were poor, at least among the Bible college students, among the churches, in the churches that we pastor, there are few who are really poor and needy. And for those who are poor and needy, they don't have to pray. We will look out for them and we will give them alms. What is the relevance of a heart that feels poor and needy? Let's turn to Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. And this is what John the Apostle says to the church. In this context, the church had thought that they did not need God, they were prosperous. This is what Jesus, through the mouth of John, says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. This church was exactly like many of our Methodist churches, that they are rich, they are prospered, and need nothing. 
And many of the members were that way too. What do you need from God when you have all the resources? Not only do you have all the money in the world or that you need, but you also have the intelligence, you have the uh, intellect, you have even the professional resources. If you're sick, you have the doctor. If you're facing a lawsuit, you have a lawyer. You have everything that you need. What do you need God for? But here was God saying that the problem with you is that you cannot see. It's not that you are you really have everything, but you cannot see your poverty. Because what God sees and the reality of each one is that we are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. We have an inability to see the reality in our lives. And David then, as he prayed, realized that he was poor and needy. Now, how is that important? You see, it's important simply because if we think that we have no need, and if we had a uh, a problem, we could call a lawyer, a doctor, a business financial consultant, or someone at our fingertips to help us, then indeed we will not turn to God. But the problem with that is that we really don't understand the realities and the truths of life because there's so many things that we are unable to do. Think of how much you're able to control your situation. Many things are outside of our control. We don't know the future. Today we may chart our savings, our investment plans, and we may think, well, in 10 years' time, I will have this amount of money. But in 10 months' time or even 10 weeks' time, you may have lost your job. There may be wars. There may be um, supply chain problems. There may be depression and uh, inflations. And suddenly your well-planned-out thoughts of investments for 10 years become cut short to 10 weeks. What do you do then? You really don't know. Or worse, you could fall sick. These things are unpredictable as well. Over this period, we've realized how unpredictable life is. We thought that things were, good, were going well and then suddenly COVID came and all our plans were struck down. And some were good plans. See, before COVID, I was having about to have a burnout. Uh, and I had planned that I would take a holiday every one month, just a short break over the weekend or weekday, just a few days, just to get out and stop work. Never made it. First time went to JB for a two-night stay. And the whole time I was spent trying to figure out what to do with my church then over the COVID situation. COVID had just come to Singapore and there were lots of security issues that nobody knew about. And while over on holiday, supposed holiday in JB, I was working my head off trying to make arrangements um, to vet, to decide on who gets to church, who doesn't get to church and all those decisions. Subsequently, the rest of the year was washed out as well. Even simple plans like that may be curtailed. But beyond even knowing about our future, it's knowing about ourselves. How much do we understand our own weakness? We may think that if we were to bulldoze everyone, get our way, things we win everything. But we realize too that human relationships don't work that way. You don't get what you want just by bulldozing. You may get it right away, but you make enemies, you lose friends, and things get more difficult later on. 
Or what if you were trying to win love? The words that we say, the attitudes in our hearts, you realize then that we are really very poor people. We realize then that we don't know even how to speak words of love, of affirmation. And even if you knew, even if you were trained, would your heart be able to take it? Would your heart be able to forgive a person who has hurt you? Would your heart be able to say, I'm sorry when you have done something wrong? Would your heart be able to forgive? And so we may know many things even, not many techniques, but are we able even to control our hearts? Some of us are very self-controlled. Outwardly, we control the words we say, we control our actions. We look like perfect, pristine human beings. Problem is that that's not true in our hearts. We may see someone who is really misbehaving and we may look very patient, very generous, very gracious outwardly. But who's to say what's inside our hearts when we say, well, that idiot, or we use our expletives to describe another person, or we are really contemptuous of someone else? That may be the truth in the situation. I was joking with a friend the other day, but it wasn't actually a joke. It was a truth, actually, that I was lo looking at a person who was doing sales. And in front of that person, I was terribly polite. I kept my patience. But at the back of my mind, I was thinking, that bloody idiot, why did this firm even, this company even employ such an inept worker? This worker can't do a thing. I've never seen someone so stupid in my life. That was what was going on in my mind as I looked at this salesperson trying to do her work. But in front of her, of course, I was terribly decent and patient. And she thought I was a really nice customer. You see, we may be able to control the words, the actions that come out of us. But what we cannot control are our own emotions, our thoughts. And those are important to God, even to the person who doesn't know. Because how I think of that person matters a lot, even if that person doesn't know it. See, at the end of the day, I realize then that I'm really poor and needy. There are so many things that I am unable to do. So many deep things, thoughts that I cannot control. And as I face the problems that I have, whether it's a problem in relationship or problem with my health, problem with the things that I'm doing, I realize then that I am poor and needy. And it is at these times when we realize how poor and needy we are that we turn to God. We say, God, I really need you. No joke now. I'm not trying to be modest. God, I desperately need you because there's nothing good or constructive that I can do. And I need you in my life. The second thing about the psalmist's attitude or posture is that in verse 2 it says he's faithful to God and he is a servant who trusts in God. It's important when we face a crisis that we continue to be steadfast in our trust in God. Because when we are not, then we decide maybe I'll trust God, maybe I'll trust something else, maybe there are other resources. 
then we turn our attention away from God and we no longer hang on to God. It's not that God is egotist, egotist. It's simply that when God is there to help us, we turn to someone else, something else, then how are we to hang on to God? One of the things I've learned about God is that He helps us when we allow Him to. But the moment we push Him away and say, I want to do it my way, then God cannot or will not help us. I know of people who are so desperate about illness that they'll turn to anything. they turn to God, they'll go to temples, they'll go to hear any, uh, appear to anyone who they think can help them. The problem is not that they all help in the same way. The problem is that they help in different ways. And so knowing, hanging on to God then becomes so important. Taking things into our own hands is one of those things where we stop trusting God. We may say, well, God, I trust you, but I can't help it. I must cheat in this case. God, I can't help it, but I must hit that person. We often choose other options than to trust God. James says this to the Christians. It's in a different context. In this context, it's about having um, trusting God, asking God for wisdom. And yet it applies to all of us because when we ask God for wisdom as to what to do with our lives, this is what James says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, that's asking about asking for wisdom. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. When we come to God, to pray. We need to come therefore completely trusting in God and persistently trusting in God. So whether we are praying for someone to be healed or for wisdom as we make decisions, um, we need to come before God and say, God, I will listen to you. Where you guide me, I will obey. Even when I'm tempted to take other means and do other things that may not be too honest, may not be honourable, may not be kind, God, I will not do it. I will only listen to you as you lead me by your Holy Spirit. And God does lead us. He leads us by His Word, by the Bible. He leads us through our conscience. He leads us through the prompting of, our Holy, of the Holy Spirit. He often leads us also through the wisdom of godly people. Do seek godly advice when you need help. Do seek the Bible to read and find out what the Bible says about what is right and what is wrong. Do be still. Listen to the Holy Spirit guiding you. And if you're not sure whether that's the Holy Spirit or something else, then Share it with some other godly person who may then guide you. But it's important to keep your trust in God and not to move from, straddle from one source of help to another. You will be an unstable person jumping from one source of help to another. You can't get help that way. I mean, one of the most frustrating things about helping a person for me 
It's when a person comes to me and asks for help, and I do everything that I need, and then the person goes somewhere else, and two, three, and then I discover the person has gone to two or three other resources, and then taken a bit of mine and taken a bit from the other person, taken a bit from somewhere else. It's not that I don't want to help. The problem is, how do you help in bits and pieces? I remember while I was practicing law, a man came and asked me for workman's compensation, about workman's compensation. Workman's compensation is a very clear thing. Uh, it's all in the books. If you have injured one part, this is the amount that you get. If you're injured in another part, this is it's all on the table that says loss of this limb, this is the compensation you get. And so I took out the book and showed it to this client. And I said, this is how much you get. The client looked at me and said, so little. Uh. I said, well, this is your injury. These are your compensations. Let me help you with it. The person said, well, I'll look for someone else who can offer me something higher. Sadly, let him go, not because I needed his business. This was a very poor uh, migrant worker. But because I felt, well, you might go and find someone else who offer you something else. But this is not about offering you something. It's all in the books. Whoever you get, you get the same compensation. The only question is whether the person would cheat you and tell you that you could get something more. And then you end up paying that person and not getting anything at all. And so I felt, and I've learned this lesson then, that when you seek help from God, place your entire trust in Him and don't move from one source of help to the next. And finally, the third point is this, that psalmist cries to God all day long. That's in verse 3. He calls to God, I call to you all day long question is, how often do I pray? You know, we, I'm asked, often asked this question when someone is ill, serious illness. Do I pray this every day? And my answer is always, pray this as much as you feel discomfort. Pray it all the time. If you could pray this prayer continually, pray this prayer continually. But wouldn't this be like not trusting God? Wouldn't this be like well, I say it one time, I pray it one time, isn't that enough? Well, the truth is that the depth of how much you need something will be shown, will be reflected by how much you pray over it. No, it's not a formula, it's what's in your heart. When you want something really badly, you would keep asking for it. If you wanted something and then, well, maybe not so badly, then I'll just say one prayer and forget about it and leave it alone. But if it's something of life and death, and I needed it so badly, wouldn't I keep asking? And I often say to the person, pray until you sense peace in your heart. Ask God, not in long, convoluted prayers with different words and formula, but simply say, God, help me. God, God, please help me. And we pray until we feel peace in our hearts. And where there is no peace in our hearts, then we either continue asking God for it, or we ask God, God, why is there no peace in my heart? Why do I feel so disturbed? Do you want me to... This is so important to me. Do you want me to stop praying? 
or just to continue praying. And often as I pray, I do feel a peace in my heart and when I do, then I stop praying for a while and then when the urgency comes again, which may be in an hour's time or several hours later, then I'll go and ask God again, shamelessly. And I want to read the parable that Jesus told. And this is found in Luke chapter 18, verse 1 to 8. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while Jesus, the king refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. The Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. Will not God give justice to this elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? What Jesus was saying was that there was a widow needed something and she kept pestering the unrighteous judge and the unrighteous judge was simply one who had to be bribed and in this very humorous story she said this woman bugged the judge so much that though she could offer him no bribe and maybe he was receiving a huge bribe from his from her adversary this judge finally relented simply because he was so deafened by the woman's pleas from morning to night. And God says, Jesus says, God is not like this. God is not unrighteous. He loves you. He hears you. But if you were to pray persistently like that, surely God will hear your prayer. What a warm assurance this is and how true that is. When we need something really badly, just keep asking for God, from God, don't stop praying. And pray from your heart. Pray what's honestly in your heart. If it's wrong, God will tell you, hey, stop praying. But if it is right, then keep pressing on and praying. And so for today, let's remember these three things to realize how needy and poor we are. But as we face our problems, keep praying and persevering. And pray throughout the day. To pray continually if you need God to give you something. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you're God who hears our prayers. But it's the problems with us, Lord, because so often we don't know, we don't recognize that we need help. Help us, Lord, to see clearly how poor, pitiable, blind, weak we are. And God, that we need to come to you, to depend on you for all our needs. And God, teach us to keep trusting in you, to persevere, to be faithful, that we may not turn to you and turn to another God and turn to many other resources, but we may turn to you and allow you to guide us as to what to do. And Father, thank you for allowing us to bug you, not to feel ashamed or embarrassed, or to feel bad that we are bugging you. 
thank you because you allow us to keep telling you what our needs are without worrying whether they're right ways of praying or right things to ask for but just to ask you and you will hear us will guide us along the way thank you lord as we pray in jesus name amen well then have a blessed week ahead of you and come back on thursday god bless you goodbye